Hi everybody and welcome to In Beta, where we ask the big questions about human rights in the digital environment. My name's Charles Bradley and I'm the Executive Director here at Global Partners Digital. We thought it'd be useful to revive this podcast at this particular moment in time as a way of trying to keep track of developments in a rapidly changing space. The COVID-19 pandemic has had many important implications for the digital environment and also for individuals' rights and freedoms. We thought it would be great to create a space for which we can examine things as they happen on a more regular basis and try to make sense of them for human rights defenders, policymakers and corporate stakeholders. Each episode is going to be short and we're going to be launching them on a weekly basis and we're going to be getting voices from all over the world to join us and provide updates on trends that they're seeing, research that they're undertaking and particular risks and opportunities for human rights in the digital environment at this particular moment. We'll be using this time to shout out to important work from others um, and creating a space for us to share and learn more about what's going on as we try to understand the longer term implications of this pandemic on the digital environment. Today we're going to be looking at one of the most highly reported on issues uh, in the digital environment given the COVID-19 situation, which is disinformation. And to discuss it with me, I'm delighted to have Richard Wingfield here at Global Partners Digital join us on this podcast. Richard, welcome to Inbeta. Um, Richard, why don't we just get a quick introduction of you and a little bit more about your role here at GPD before we, uh, before we dive in now. Yeah, so I'm uh, GPD's head of legal. What that really means is trying to drill down on, on how international human rights law applies to many of the issues that we focus on as an organisation. So that might mean uh, looking at laws or policies that governments or companies are, are looking at and developing to assess whether they're consistent with international human rights uh, law and standards, um, or just making sure that the different issue areas that we focus on have a, a solid human rights grounding uh, in the approach. Fantastic. Great. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, so as mentioned at the beginning of this uh, podcast, we're sort of using this as a way of thinking through some of the emerging trends from a human rights perspective in the digital environment, given the uh, COVID-19 um, pandemic. Um, what's your assessment of the situation so far? What sort of interesting trends have, have you noticed? Well, there have been quite a lot from a human rights perspective. Um, you know, we've seen if you're thinking about the, the sort of the more traditional offline issues, obviously restrictions on, on physical liberty and freedom of movement. Um, and then looking at the, the, the digital environment, there have been uh, two major trends, which I, I, I've been particularly cognizant of. First is, is the use of data um, that governments are now relying upon, whether that's surveilling individuals or looking at the movements of larger groups or the, the habits or behaviours of groups of people. Mm -hmm. uh, and how they're obtaining this data from from the private sector, from tech companies or telcos. Um, and then another one which is particularly interesting has been the issue of disinformation or, or, or restrictions on information in a situation where you've got, you know, a global pandemic and uh, there's lots of information flying around which the government wants to, people to receive or perhaps some information the government doesn't want people to receive. Then there's a particular interest in controlling information flows. And the theme of disinformation or, you know, false or misleading or inaccurate information has been something of an issue for a while now, but it's, it's, it's gained particular traction in the context of COVID-19 with governments legitimately or illegitimately trying to control the information within societies. And why would you think that um, 
disinformation is a, is a human rights issue anyway. Any the right to freedom of expression, which is which is you know a long established human right under international human rights law, is very broad in its scope and it encounters the free flow and exchange of information of all sorts uh, of any idea of ideas of any kinds across uh, frontiers and across any media. So, if you take a very broad understanding of what free expression means, which is which is the approach that international human rights law takes, then any kind of restrictions or controls on that information. Uh, then obviously amount to an interference with, with, with that right. Now, you can have justifiable restrictions. So, you know, there are certain types of particularly harmful uh, speech that governments may legitimately try to restrict. And, and in the context of a, of, a, of a disease like COVID-19, you can imagine governments wanting to restrict information which was harmful in that it gave people false uh, advice about how to treat the disease or how you could catch it, for example, which, which, which would be harmful in efforts to, uh, to control its spread. Um, but of course, you know, there are governments who will seize upon a crisis like this as justification for restricting much more broad types of expression. So criticism of government, for example, um, criticism of individual ministers or, or health authorities, or just things that the government simply doesn't like. So uh, it's one of those issues which, which can be used to justify restrictions on free expression. But, but I think what we're seeing here, which is causing concern, is that it's actually going a lot further than what would ordinarily be justifiable. Absolutely, yeah, um, and this is obviously playing out in a number of different um, ways in in different parts of the world. Um, I wonder what we're sort of seeing from the government perspective. What are the sort of the government responses to disinformation, and, and what are the main sort of concerns um, with those responses so far? Well, they're quite varied, which which re you know reflects the fact that in part that that governments around the world just generally take a very different approach to to their human rights obligations and and. Uh, you know, their interest in ensuring consistency with those international human rights obligations. So you're seeing some countries uh, taking a very extreme, um, uh, say, taking very extreme measures. You look at Hungary, for example, which is uh, which has developed legislation which criminalizes the spread of, of what it deems to be fake news or false information with up to several years imprisonment. And obviously that's a very uh, significant interference with with a type of expression which isn't particularly clearly defined either under Hungarian or, or under many legal systems, you know, what, what, what constitutes false or misleading or fake information. And then you've seen other governments take a more measured approach of engaging with the tech companies, which is often how individuals now obtain their information, either via um, uh, public social media platforms like Facebook or Twitter, or via private messaging groups like WhatsApp. So you're seeing some conversations between other governments um, in the world with these companies to try to make sure that the most harmful kinds of disinformation are you know, either filtered out or deprioritized in some way, uh, and that more accurate sources of information are, are promoted and prioritized. So you're seeing quite a range of, of approaches from governments from the very extreme forms of criminalization to much more softer informal measures of simply engaging with tech companies to, to better understand and, and make sure that their policies um, ensure that good, correct information is out there and easily accessible to people. And then various responses which sort of fall somewhere in the middle. And within those sort of uh, those pressures on, on the tech companies, obviously we're starting to see responses from them um, as well. Um, what are we seeing in terms of sort of the, the tech uh, company responses? Are these more uniformed across the larger platforms or is there a splintering of, of different approaches to deal with the information flow um, during the current pandemic? 
you're definitely seeing different approaches taken by different companies. But this, of course, reflects um, in part the fact that people are getting different kinds of information from them um, in the first place. So, you know, we're seeing uh, in some cases, you know, Facebook, for example, is trying to clarify what its existing policies around this information are. Facebook, of course, um, has been very caught up in the whole uh, uh, conversations around concerns relating to disinformation online and the way that information is promoted so that, you know, Facebook is perhaps not doing anything significantly different, but trying to make clearer what its existing policies are and how they're going to be applied. And then you're seeing other companies like YouTube, for example, taking um, perhaps taking more steps. So YouTube is a popular platform for videos and quite often there's been concerns around uh, extremist or sensationist material and videos being promoted to people and encouraging people to, to watch videos with conspiracy theories, for example, um, via their algorithms. And, and they've responded to this concern around COVID-19 by taking more steps to ensure that any videos which don't contain objectively accurate information about COVID-19 aren't prioritized inadvertently by their algorithms, so trying to deprioritize that content. So you're seeing a range of uh, sort of different things that tech companies are doing. I think one one of the challenges here, of course, is one, we don't know how much is you know, done of their own volition versus pressure from governments. Uh, and secondly, their own sort of internal policies on how they determine what is disinformation aren't always clear. So you might say, well, it's great that YouTube is trying to deprioritize, you know, conspiracy theory videos or disinformation relating to the virus. But it's not always entirely clear how they're making those decisions or whether it's done by humans or by algorithms um, or, or other forms of machine learning. So there's still a lot of unanswered questions really relating to the transparency of what the companies are doing. Absolutely. And, and in that last bit, there's uh, important sort of trends that we're seeing in terms of the actual moderation um, of content um, due to the, the uh, inability of individuals to go to work at the moment, that that's all being moved uh, to more of an algorithmic um, approach versus a, um, a human in the loop approach. So definitely something that we will be picking up on in, uh, in future um, podcasts. Um, do you think the these sort of changes within response uh, signify a sort of a change that we might see um, in the medium and long term, or are these approaches that might um, sort of go away once the sort of the the, the peak of disinformation around the pandemic um, has sort of uh, leveled out a bit? I think it's difficult to tell because you do get occasionally these sort of um, particular moments where disinformation is, is more prevalent. Um, you know, you think of periods of elections, um, you think of the Ebola crisis uh, a couple of years ago, um, obviously this new COVID-19 crisis. There are definitely sort of general um, ebbs and flows of events which, which stimulate disinformation or, or which encourage it. So it might be that what we see at the moment is really just a refinement of existing legislation and policies, to, you know, for this particular scenario rather than any sort of massive long-term changes. But I think it's important to bear in mind that there's a, a sort of a more general trend which is concerning when it comes to disinformation. We've seen lots of governments in the last two to three years pass quite strict legislation, thinking of countries in, in parts of Africa and Southeast Asia in particular, um, restricting, however termed, disinformation or fake news. And so if there's a sense among governments that, you know, COVID-19 is also a particular concern, it might encourage or speed up um, legislation in other countries as well. So. We, we might what we may see is a kind of escalation or an exacerbation of an existing trend over the last couple of years when it comes to uh, laws and policies from governments on false or misleading information, many of which raise serious concerns from a free expression perspective. Uh, so I think it is really important to keep track of this and make sure that these 
extreme situations and extreme times that we're living through at the moment don't become normalized and, and the default way the governments view uh, how they should control online information. Absolutely. And um, if there's a sort of a last few words, um, what could human rights defenders be doing at this at this moment? What, would, what should we be sort of looking out for or, or scrutinising in these responses? I think there are sort of three things, really. Um, the first is obviously to very much just keep track of any kind of new formal law or policy that governments are thinking about developing. So, you know, given these are emergency situations, we know that laws are being passed very quickly at the moment, often with less parliamentary oversight than would ordinarily be the case with parliamentarians not able to even assemble physically in, in the legislatures. So we're seeing a lot more of very quick legislation being passed. And so I think there's a, a an onus on uh, human rights defenders and civil society more broadly to keep an eye on what governments are doing. I think secondly, we need to ask more from the companies themselves about what they're doing. We know that they're having to come up with new policies and tweaks to their algorithms very quickly in many cases, but they, they should be transparent as possible about what they're doing so that we can hold them to account, even if not now, at some point in the future. And finally, I think we need to ask both of them what conversations are going on among them. So what is government asking from tech companies if it's not using formal legislation to demand certain changes or certain actions informally? What kind of pressure is it using and, and how are agreements being reached? And, and is there any way to try to introduce some kind of transparency over them so that we at least know what's going on, even if we're not able to, to influ influence them right away? So I think there's quite a lot that we could and should be doing. Thanks so much. That's really, really helpful and a, and, a, and a call to action for everyone listening to this call and something that I know that um, Richard and the team here at GPD will be interested in and collaborating with others on. Richard, thanks so much for joining us. No, thank you very much. So just to round up today, um, we wanted to share some of the things that we've been reading and following. There is some amazing work being done by organisations out there and we wanted to make sure that everyone was aware of some of the fantastic things that we found useful for our work in ensuring human rights are respected online at these times. The first is the International Centre for Not-for-Profit Law's COVID-19 Civic Freedom Tracker, which has been monitoring government responses to the pandemic that affect civic freedoms and human rights, with a special focus on emergency laws, Access Now's recommendations on privacy and data protection in the context of COVID-19. It's, it's a great starter for people who are interested in the privacy dimensions of this um, debate. And there are also some joint actions that have taken place, uh, joint statements from civil society groups in Latin America, including our partners of Dredgeus Digitalis, calling on governments to respect human rights when deploying digital technologies to fight against COVID-19. Our partner Sapesa have a rolling Twitter thread, collating key developments uh, around the virus and internet freedom in Africa. And they've also published an interesting and useful article looking at the necessity and proportionality of COVID-related surveillance initiatives on the continent. And finally, we've been here at GPD revisiting an article by Richard, who you heard earlier, written before the crisis, which sets out a framework for assessing whether disinformation-related policy responses are rights-respecting. And that's been helping us make sense of some of the new measures we've seen, um, as previously mentioned, too. All of the resources and articles mentioned in this podcast will be available on the GPD website and linked to next to the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. Many of them will also be mentioned in the Digest, which is GBD's monthly newsletter, which you can subscribe to on the GBD's website. That's it from this week. Thanks so much for joining us, and we hope you'll join us next week. Stay safe, everybody. That's bye for now.